You're listening to the Carry On Friends Podcast, episode 55. Welcome to the Carry On Friends Podcast, where you'll be inspired and empowered to do amazing things in your personal lives, career, business, and community. With your host, Carrie Ann Reed Brown. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 55 of the Carry On Friends podcast. I'm excited that you're listening. Today's episode is a fun episode. It's a little longer than usual, and there's a little technical difficulty in between, but Kwame and I had fun. Who is Kwame? Kwame Christian is an attorney, and he is a business attorney, but he also specializes in negotiation. This episode is part of our month of relationships and how relationship building is important in the art of negotiation. So, so I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. Please remember to follow the conversation online using the hashtag COF podcast. Also follow us on social media. We're at Carry On Friends on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are looking forward to chatting online and discussing more. All right. So I won't keep you waiting any longer. Here is my interview with Kwame. Kwame, welcome to the Carry On Friends podcast. Finally, you're on the show. I'm so glad you're here. How are you? Yeah. Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Cool. So Kwame, let's tell the community of friends, you know, who you are, the island or islands you're representing and all that good stuff. Yeah, so I am a bit of a mix-up here. So my dad is from Dominica, the Nature Isle, and my mom is from Guyana. Boy, I tell you, I, I think you're the second person on the show that have some um, Dominica and some other mix-up. And I'm like, my God, Caribbean people can travel far, though. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It keeps things interesting. Yes, yes, that's us. So um, tell the audience what you do, a little bit more about your background in terms of professional-wise. Yeah, so I'm a business lawyer. So I work with entrepreneurs and startups. Um, but I also founded the American Negotiation Institute. And so that is really my passion project. You know, for now, the uh, law firm pays the bills and I enjoy doing that. But really what I want to get into is building up that consulting firm, the the American Negotiation Institute. So uh, to market the firm, I started a podcast. It's called Negotiation for Entrepreneurs. And so now after about 10 months or so, uh, we are now the top ranked negotiation podcast on iTunes. So that was that was pretty exciting. But, but um, up, yes, yeah, yes. big ups. Yeah, I love people we're out here on tweets. I'm, I'm very excited. Very, very excited for you. You know, we've um, just to let the audience in, you know, we've we've talked a lot uh, maybe last summer and, you know, we knew this episode was coming. And, you know, it's it's really awesome to, to see that the, all the work that you've put in kind of led to where you are and that was a goal so i'm so excited because trust me i've talked to kwame and about some negotiation stuff and when i tell you that he good in good so let's get into it kwame all right so why did you start the negotiation institute yeah so i i realized you know growing up in the in the states i'm a first generation caribbean american so uh, i was growing up in this small town in tiffin ohio really small town and so I was the only person that looked like me. I was the only person who sounded like me, you know, so I was very different. And so from a young age, I was constantly negotiating friendship, you know, acceptance. Mm. And then when I came to school, I started, I studied psychology because I liked the, uh, learning about the way people think. And then when I got to law school, I was able to blend that background of psychology with my desire to do entrepreneurship when I found negotiation because negotiation essentially is utilizing psychology and understanding psychology but for a business purpose. 
And so that's where the passion began. So I get to use the skills every day as a lawyer, negotiating on behalf of my clients, but I really want to make that my exclusive focus with the consulting firm. All right. Um, in preparation for this episode, I reached out and I asked a few people, you know, what their questions were around negotiation. And one thing that kind of stood out because it's come up so many times, um, my high school classmate from Jamaica, Stacy, Stacy G, I'm not going to give out our whole government, you know, but she immediately responded and she wanted to talk about gender and negotiation. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so her question is, you know, there's been an upswing where that's concerned. The fact that Sheryl Sandberg wrote a book um, really means that there's something missing regarding women and their power or power to negotiate. So she would like you to explain what are your views about why women specifically have a challenge with negotiating and potentially what what the blind spots are and what women can do to really be better negotiators and if you have any books around that. Yes. So it's it's always a bit awkward for me uh, answering this question as a man, <laughs> standing in my male privilege, but um, I have an academic understanding. Right. Uh, so the book I will recommend is called Women Don't Ask by Sarah Lashver and um, Linda Babcock. Phenomenal book. Um, it not only talks about the reasons behind um, uh, the issues in negotiation for females, but also things that you can do to improve that gap. And so it's a really great book. And the timing of this could not have been better um, because today, uh, this week, I had a, a negotiation seminar scheduled at the Women's Business Center in here in Columbus, Ohio. So one of the things I do is I, I put on negotiation seminars around the city and I've had the opportunity to travel. And um, typically with these local presentations, it's probably about 30 20, 40 people that register, excited entrepreneurs looking forward to learning more about negotiation. And so I was super excited, especially with the, reading the book, to, to present this at the Women's Business Center. Mm -hmm. So I called the day before, and uh, the person who was organizing was really excited about this presentation. She's been marketing it hard for the last three months. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, so how many reservations do we have? How many RSVPs? Guess how many we had? Uh, you had about 100 or so. I had one. What? One. Yes, one. And so, uh, and then think about why. You know, the the title of the presentation was negotiation, how to get more for your business. One mm. person registered. And so thinking about my experience uh, with the podcast, um, I'm very sensitive to making sure that I have the right racial and gender diversity. But when you look at my podcast, you'll see it's mostly men, even though I ask the equal amounts of men and women. And so what we're seeing here is a mindset issue. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a mental block when it comes to negotiation. And so why is that? Let's look back to the way that men and or boys and girls are socialized. So what kind of games do boys play? Boys play sports, um, things like that. Cops and robbers. There's a clear winner and a clear loser. So we are trained to be aggressive and move towards our goals in that way. Yeah. Women, on the other hand, girls, when they play, it's more social games. So we're talking house, tea time, those type of things. And we they are discouraged at a young age from stepping up and moving aggressively towards their goals. And then when they do that in classrooms, oftentimes they're labeled as a know-it-all or something like that. And so constantly you're being pushed down. Mm -hmm. And so then when you matriculate into womanhood, 
you kind of internalize that. And so you are afraid to ask. And hence the name of that book, Women Don't Ask. Mm. And so it's not a situation where women are poor negotiators. Frankly speaking, considering the majority of studies that have been done, women, when they implement these negotiation strategies, they end up being better than men because they actually consider the relationship aspects that exist. But it's not a, an issue of whether or not they can do it or if they have the skills. It's a question of whether or not you will do it. You know what you're saying? I read this book years ago, Play Like a Man, Win Like a Woman. And this was this. I, I think Steve Harvey took a play off that book, but whatever. Um, this woman, she was one of the like really major producers at CNN, like way, way back in the early days. And she really kind of talked a little bit about what you said, the way we are socialized. And, you know, for women, it's culturally or girls, it's like we should get along and no one should kind of we should all be in a circle and no one should try to you know rock the boat a little bit but in a way she pointed out and even for myself as a mom when it comes to our kids and home we're on that negotiation ball like we 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 have it like no I'm not buying these pair of jeans for this or you know we we we're able to employ that negotiation skill when it comes to our social setting like the traditional roles as a mom as a wife as opposed to in a business sense. So I, mm -hmm. I do see what you're saying. We we have the skill, but we don't apply in a business setting. We keep that when it comes to, you know, the traditional roles that women tend to have. Um, even in preparing for the podcast, we talked about women in, in the market. You know, I gave the story of um, the lawyer I worked with and she was like, Carrie Ann, is this the best price? I'm like, yes. And she, she turns around and she tells me about her mom and haggling in the market in the Philippines. And so again, but that is more of um, a traditional role. Men wouldn't go to the market and haggle. The women do. So what can we do then to bring that same mindset from or quote unquote traditional roles that involve the home into work and business? This is a great question. And, and it brings, it reminds me of an example that was given where kind of going back to the traditional roles that you were talking about, um, women have been socialized to be the caretakers, mm -hmm. like you said, you know, so if I'm negotiating on behalf of my kids, I'm a lioness, you know, mm -hmm. there's no, there's no problem there. But what's interesting too, if you have a female attorney or a female um, person who's in charge of acquiring contracts for your company, you're going to act aggressively and, or let me say, assertively towards your goals and you won't have trouble standing up in that negotiation. Mm -hmm. But why is that? Because it's almost like that traditional role. Yes. I'm taking care of my company, yes. you know, but when it comes to asserting yourself on behalf of yourself, those same people struggle to do it. So one easy mental shift that you can do is act as though you're negotiating on behalf of somebody else. And when you kind of remove yourself from it, it's kind of like a, a, a mind trick you play and pretend you're negotiating on behalf of somebody else, then you would more likely you would be more likely to act assertively and, and assert yourself in the negotiation and ask for what you want. I like that. I'm going I'm to use that mind trick. Um, but, you know, honestly, I think I've come a long way. I didn't seem so bad when we talked about my little negotiation situation. I mean, it took a year for me to get to that point. And it's it's really key that because we are so socialized, the thing that when we ask for things for ourselves, we feel selfish and mm -hmm. selfish is a bad thing. And I think that's part of the other reason why, like, oh, you know, you don't want to be 
um, so aggressive and, 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 and like you pointed out, sometimes it's not just men who might see us this way. Other women might see us this way if right. we begin to, to assert ourselves a particular way. So, and, and that's a really important point too. Um, because for me as an African American male, mm-hmm. um, I realize that people see me as somebody who is more aggressive, you know, no matter what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's important for me to have a really strong understanding of the biases that are against me. And so because of that, I I probably smile more than the average person in business settings. I'm Mm -hmm. friendlier because I know that I need to assuage your your fear and intimidation that you have of me because of the society we live in. And so similarly, what we found is that when women negotiate, when they talk more about the relational aspects and say, well, you know, I, I appreciate this offer, but I was consider, I was thinking that an offer like this would be more uh, beneficial to me because I want to make sure that I am adequately motivated to do this job so we can work well as a team. Also, I have things at home that I need to take care of. And so we, we know that the biases against females are you're, you're supposed to stay in your lane and, and kind of be more relation, relationship minded. It's like, okay, that's unfair. It's an unfair bias, but it exists. So how can we use that against the people that we're negotiating with? So the way to do that is to just kind of go into it and say, the reason why I'm doing this is because of XYZ relationship. And so when when they've compared people who just ask in general and then ask and when compared to other people who ask with that relationship minded focus um, with women, it has been accepted. The, the ask has been more easily accepted by the other person. It, it's not taken as negatively, if that makes sense. Yes, it makes sense. But. All right, so let's play um, an advocate because men are devils. So let's play the other. <laughs> yeah. not, you know, so, so in hearing that, I hear the argument. You know, you know I'm going to come out on my lawyer's own because we live in a legal world. So someone else might say, but why do I have to, why do I have to lead with that even, even if that doesn't matter to me? Why do I have to say, well, I have to take care of my family? Like, I want more money because I want more money. I don't, how, how right. would you respond to someone who's like, that's, that's a level of deception that I'm not willing to, to agree with. Right. And I, and I should have articulated it better by saying, I want to take care of my family, but I would say it, I I think a better way to say it is I need to make sure that I put my family in the best position Mm -hmm. and, um, assert myself for, to put myself in the best position for the team too. But yes, to your point, why should we say that even if we don't feel it? I think that comes that brings us to the the question of whether or not we want to be right or whether or not we want to be effective. Mm. And when it comes to persuasion, and this is something I say all the time, (laughs) all the time in my podcast, um, persuasion isn't difficult because it's complex. Uh, relation, uh, persuasion is difficult because a lot of times it doesn't feel good. You know, a lot of times we have to do things or say things that it's like, Oh my goodness, do I need to swallow my pride here? I want to let I want to lay into this person, but I need to hold back, you know. And so for me, a lot of times I don't feel like softening my tone Mm -hmm. to make other people feel comfortable. But I know if I want to get what I want, I need to do that. So here's an example. I remember one time I was at a because I said I'm I'm still a practicing attorney. Mm -hmm. I brought in some volunteers from the local university to a, a nursing home. 
because I wanted to establish good relationships there because I do estate planning as well as business law. And so I brought in these these, uh, volunteers and uh, the lady who was in charge of the nursing home for that day, I didn't know her, um, but she came in and she thanked the students who were there and everything and she kind of just ignored me like I was like I wasn't even there and I was like okay I see what I see what's happening here and so I took the the initiative to introduce myself you know with a big smile to try and lower her defenses and I realized from based on the fact that she ignored me from the from the jump there is a higher level of intimidation that she has for me mm. so okay what do I need to do ha huh, I happen to have a super cute baby. I was like, oh yeah, I have a baby, by the way. Um, I just, you know, slide that in there like, oh, you know, I'm a bit sleepy. I have a baby. Oh, you have a baby. Oh, and I was like, yeah, you want to see a picture? Oh my goodness. And so after that, you know, we were best of friends. And then she was talking about how she needs an estate plan and how she wants to call me to talk about that. You know, would I have been able to do that if I approached it just as a general conversation? Probably not. But I knew based on the biases that I could sense I needed to add a little bit more in order to make her feel comfortable because people make decisions when they feel comfortable. If there's a little bit of discomfort, people will see that as risk. And the gap between coming to a conclusion and creating an agreement is risk, perceived risk. So my goal is to lower that as much as possible. Right. And, you know, what you're saying, my goal wasn't to kind of make this about women and negotiation, but I'm also a woman and negotiation and negotiating has now become a huge part of my life. And negotiation doesn't necessarily mean money. It's it's literally negotiating, um, as you know, Kwame, you know, <laughs> what approach I'm going to take with a particular stakeholder and okay, this may not be my first move, but I'm playing a long game. So I, if I have to make this shift against something I don't want, it's part of a long-term negotiation process to make some concessions along the way. But what you're saying is, in essence, we aren't reading people enough to understand where they perceive us coming in. And you studied psychology I'm an introvert and naturally observe people and I'm, I freelance as a psychologist sometimes in my head. <laughs> what can people do, what, women, men, but what can we do to be more aware of the behaviors of people to know how to disarm them? Because men also do a great job. You spoke about your kids. Some people talk about games. There, are you? Who's a who's a Yankee fan? Who's I see that all the time. They kick it off with a conversation about their favorite teams or it's not their favorite team. Or I've observed a conversation where two men were arguing about which tequila is the best tequila. Right. <laughs> but that was yeah. kind of how they start, because then now they know that they have a very discerning taste about the quality of tequila. And even though they might not have agree on which brand is the better brand, they they also within based on what you're saying, they also have that connection that we are tequila connoisseurs. So they mm-hmm. already have that kind of respect. So what can women do, you know? Um, kid, the, the children is, I think, a natural way. What other way can we bring, um, you've said, this kind of coalition or soften us up a little bit when it comes to going or starting negotiation process? Right. And so this is, I love this question because um, one of the things that I love to do, because I'm an introvert too, I... I listen more than I speak. And so my goal in my conversations is to have the breakdown of communications about 70-30, where I'm only speaking 30% of the time, but I'm listening 70% of the time. Um, Negotiation is an 
it's an information game. Your goal is to get as much information as possible because it's like the old adage says, knowledge is power. So before I have a conversation or a negotiation with somebody, I am doing research on them. I put them through what I call the dating test. Do I know enough per enough information about this person that would make me feel comfortable dating them? And so coming into this conversation, I already have a decent understanding of your interests. So I look at people's LinkedIn, I look at their social media, what do they care about? And so those that gives me an idea of what I should talk about and what I shouldn't talk about. You know, so I can start off the conversation building quick rapport because I'm going to start off by talking about things that I know you're interested in. And I'm going to ask questions to allow you to get deeper into the conversation. And what happens is when somebody actually listens to you, you reciprocate by listening in return. Um, also, it helps to ge generate trust and deepen the relationship because when it's all said and done, we give things to people that we like. You know, if we if we feel like this person is a friend, that will help us to get what we want uh, more readily. And so it takes time, but listening is going to be key. So not only listening to the words, asking in insightful questions and then listening to the words that they say, but also listening to the body language too. Because from a young age, we have been taught to lie. <laughs> you know, whether or not it's a, it seems like a, a malicious lie, we've been taught to lie by our parents. So for instance, if we go, if we're a two-year-old and somebody gives us a present and we don't like it and we show that we don't like it, our parents are going to say, be grateful, tell them thank you, you know, fix your face. No, <laughs> you know, that, be like, you're lucky say somebody give you something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so when you look at somebody's face, we've been well trained from a young age to conceal things with our face. So you need to look at the entire body language. If, if somebody is acting like they are engaged with our conversation with their face, with their face, and then we look down at their feet and their feet are pointing towards the door, we know they have something else to do. You know, we know we don't have their full attention. Now that we have that intelligence, now we can say, but I know you're in a rush. I'll let you go. And then we'll talk about this later. It doesn't make sense to talk about talk to somebody when we know that they're not engaged in the conversation. So when I say listening, I don't just mean listening to the words that are said, but listening to the entire body, because there's a lot of information coming our way. But since we're not good at listening with our ears or our eyes, sometimes we miss it. I like that you said that. So a quick recap on that. Um, men build rapport and women, you know, a natural way to build rapport is with kids, but there are some women that don't have kids. So in order to really find other ways to build rapport, we have to do the dating game. And ladies, we know how to search out and research when we need to find something. So do your research when it comes to business to find some other way to build rapport if you're not comfortable leading with the family um, route. Because the more, you just said it, you know, when we, we give things to people we, we, we like. And if someone does not like us, they're not going to give us attention. They're not going to, they're going to question everything, cut us off in the middle of the presentation, everything. Because they don't like us. They don't want to pay attention. And it's not a personal thing per se. It's just goes back to what you said, trust. They don't trust us yet. Exactly. Okay, cool. I I love this. I'm I'm a work I'm a work on my negotiation skills. Oh boy. <laughs> yes, I feel I feel very empowered now to really take my negotiation skills, you know, to the next level. So 
Let's talk about some other situations where where negotiation is probably a challenge, right? So salary and work-based type negotiation, because salary isn't the only thing that we negotiate at work. What are some of the, the challenges around people in general with negotiating with in, in the workplace regarding salary or any other benefits as it pertains to work? And it may not be benefits. Maybe you want to negotiate. Well, it is a benefit. You know, maybe it's a title change or maybe it's, you know, you want to work remotely or telecommute or whatever it is. What are some of the challenges that people have regarding negotiating in that sense? I'm so excited for this question. (laughs) This is going to be awesome. So the first barrier that people have in negotiating in the workplace and negotiating in general is that we don't see it. You can't you can't utilize these skills if you don't recognize there's an opportunity to use it. So the definition that I use for a negotiation is any conversation where you or somebody else wants something. And so when you think about it, that's about 90 to 95% of our conversations. Yes. So we're negotiating all the time. It's kind of like a car. You know, if you drive a car, uh, if you buy a car, you think it's a super unique car until you buy it, and now you're hyper aware of it, and so you start seeing it all around town. That's how it is going to be now that you know what a negotiation really is. Mm-hmm. So the first step is to really have a good understanding of what it is that you want. Is it a title change? Is it more money? But why you want it? Because there might be creative ways to get what you want other than the obvious. And so. I don't think about negotiation as having a set beginning and a set end point. Um, you're, it's like a constant negotiation. I look at it more like a game of chess. You know, when you when you first started that job, those chess the chess set is is open. Nothing has happened yet, and then you start to make moves every day and position yourself appropriately to make that big ask when the time is right. And so when it comes to getting title changes and comes to increasing salary, it's we focus too much on the one conversation where we make the ask. But the whole time we should be positioning ourselves and making incremental moves toward facilitating that conversation. So when you actually have that conversation, that's just the tip of the iceberg. You've been doing work the whole time. So what does this look like? So a lot of times we might have an opportunity to take part in a project. Within that project, we can position ourselves for that salary increase. So when, at the beginning, we might be working with our teammates. So we are trying to figure out, it, we're trying to negotiate whose idea is going to take the lead. If you are able to persuade effectively in that situation, then your idea, your idea wins the day. That takes you a step closer to your salary. Those type of things. If you are the lead, if you can persuade the people in your team to let you be the leader, again, that takes takes you closer to that salary increase. So you have to really kind of broaden your perspective of what a negotiation is and understand that there are constant opportunities to negotiate. And I know you know this because <laughs> we've been talking about this for the past few weeks on how you can position yourself too within your organization. So um, there, there are myriad opportunities to to negotiate, but we have to really pay attention to those smaller ones to position ourselves effectively. You know what, Kwame? You already know that I'm taking ridiculous amounts of notes, and <laughs> I have to find a word, another word. But you know, the aha moment you said, right, is we focus on the one conversation, the ask, right? But the ask is really the tip of the iceberg. We should have been kind of aligning before that, right? I never yeah. looked at it that way. But, you know, I'm looking at this from like a Caribbean perspective, right? So 
I usually, most Caribbean, Caribbean Americans, they can relate to this, right? So when I was in high school, my cousin, my brother, my brother and I, we always wanted to go out to some party, right? But with a Caribbean parent, what you have to do, you have to ask them like two years in advance to go <laughs> to this party, right? And you ask two years in advance, but what do you do between now, the time you ask and the time of the party? You make sure the dishes are always washed. They don't have to tell you what to do, when to do it. You're, you're on point. And so, <laughs> <laughs> yep. and so it, negotiation is literally like when you just said this, it's everything I did before I asked mommy about going to this party and everything I did after that, because the negotiation doesn't stop after I ask and I get her permission. It still continues because she has the power to take it away from me. Exactly. At any time, at any time, and I was just like, "Man, oh boy, Caribbean parents are something else," you know. But but it, <laughs> really, it just kind of clipped it clipped when you said that because I'm like, "Oh my gosh, mommy used to be on that." We had to, and, and she enjoyed it because obviously she's getting not to yell at us because we're just gonna do it anyway. Mm -hmm. But this was really an aha moment. We focus on the one conversation and not the incremental moves leading up to that one conversation and the post conversation moves because people are also still wanting to feel comfortable that they made the right decision or they didn't give away all of their power because that's always a concern. And this just kind of, this is like the big star aha moment. Like this is like the money, the money, whatever, the money saying phrase. That is so key. But um, let me just jump back a little bit. I just shared the story about my mom and asking and the negotiation. Is there something about the way we were brought up where, you know, our parents weren't dictators, but they were near dictators. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> There were near, there's no back chat to Caribbean parents. And so is there a possibility that, or sometimes our timidness to negotiation had to do with how we were literally raised? Like you don't back chat. You, you just did it. There was no room for a back, a dialogue because a dialogue meant disrespect. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That, that, it's so funny. I, I was busting up while you were talking because I knew exactly where you were going. Because the thing is, we, like you said, you, I know you were being nice, but yeah, they were dictators. <laughs> there was, there was, there's no, there's no negotiation. You know, it's like, well, mom, did you consider? No. Okay. I guess you didn't, you yeah, didn't consider I that. Okay. So, um, so yeah, that is something we need to get over because when we get into the workplace, then we, who's the parent yeah. in that situation? It's the boss. And so the boss says something, we don't challenge it, or we don't do anything that could be perceived as, as a, a challenge. challenge. Yeah. And what we need to realize is that it will only be perceived as a challenge if you don't negotiate well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so when, if the boss has an idea, you could just ask questions. And I tell you, the the best way to be persuasive. Like if, if there's one thing that I want people to understand is that you don't persuade people by making affirmative statements. You persuade people by asking great open-ended questions that allow them to persuade themselves. So don't think of it as you're challenging people. Think of it more like an information gathering session where you're asking questions, but you have you, these questions set up in a way that allow them to come to your conclusion. Um, I think one of the best ways I've heard it described is negotiation 
is the art of letting them have your way. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Mm, this is so good. This is so good. All right. <laughs> yes. So the challenge, it's, it's asking better questions then. What's a great, you said we need to ask great open-ended questions. How, what's, how, what is that? How do, yeah. what's an example of that? So you, you have uh, some experience in the legal community. You know how a cross-examination is yes. where somebody would say, you were there tonight, that night, right? And mm-hmm. the blood was on your hands, right? Mm-hmm. You know, those are examples of closed-ended questions where your options are yes or no. And when somebody is as, being asked open-ended, uh, sorry, closed-ended questions in that way, um, people, they feel controlled, they feel confined, and the person asking the question is really shooting themselves in the foot because they miss out on the opportunity to get more information. information. Mm-hmm. So you want to ask open-ended questions because it allows people to elaborate. And then that's how you get close to that breakdown of communication, seventy thirty, like I described earlier. And so the beautiful thing, and this is the beauty of asking questions, is that when you ask questions and you have this breakdown in this way, you are the person in control. You're like the puppet master. <laughs> you know, your or your hand is on the steering wheel while their foot is on the brake or gas pedal. No matter how fast or how slow you go, we are going where I want to go. And that's the beauty of asking questions. So you want to ask open-ended questions, get people to elaborate, and then get them deeper. And so like, let's say it's a situation where you know you are right, just objectively you're right. Mm-hmm. You can ask questions that focus the person on why they're wrong, you know, so then they come to the conclusion themselves. And so at the end of the conversation, if we were to have like an ESPN breakdown, Mm -hmm. um, sir, why did you change your mind on this issue? And they'll say, you know, after I thought about it a little bit more, I realized that this was the better way to go. When in reality, you're sitting there in the background thinking, ha, he thinks he did it himself. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. All right. So real world example. Let's see. Um, let me let, let me let me try to give a real world example from two jobs ago. Um, cool. All right. So I would like my administrator to go with a particular vendor for a particular service. And they don't think we need the vendor or the service because they think we can handle it in house. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, from a legal perspective, you you know, you know, profit centers in house, you don't want to outsource everything because then you have to explain to the client why you have to pay this vendor to do something, blah, blah, blah. But let's just say, you know, this is the right way to grow because we're not experts at it. So it's better to get an expert to outsource it. Right. Mm-hmm. So the administrator is like, no, Carrie Ann, I don't see why we need to get this vendor to do X. But I know we need to get the vendor to do X. How do I then have this open-ended question to get them to see that we do need this vendor? This is going to be fun. Okay. All right. right. So let's do some make-believe prep with you beforehand. So why do you know that we need this vendor? I know because we do not have the expertise or the manpower to do it. Why? There's only one manpower. Moi, right? Oh. <laughs> so, and I cannot do that job and do the other job that in to the, to the attorney's eyes is the most important job, which is staff paralegals to my cases um, versus doing the physical database management. Um, so I know I can't do it and we need to outsource the skill, the, the task to do that. So I, and it's more efficient. So it's not only um, cost because now you'd have to pay more 
more me more to do that internally, but you also lose out on efficiency and accuracy because now I'm juggling too many things. Right. Okay. Perfect. So what I would do is I would go in I, and, and here's another thing too. Rome wasn't built in a day. Yeah. These negotiations don't need to happen all at once. Again, we need to position ourselves appropriately. And so what I would do is I would have a quick meeting and talk to the administrator and ask what, ask her, what are your goals for this project? Get the answer. And you're, I know you're a prolific note taker, so get the answer, but in her own words, okay? All right, how would you know that this is a success? All right, get the answer in her own words. And what is the budget? Like, what are our constraints? Get the answer in her own words. Okay, perfect. Thanks, boss. I'll see you later. Mm-hmm. And so now you get that information. And so with that information now, we want to take our reality, our truth, and couch it in terms that she is familiar with using those own your own words. And so then the subsequent conversation is, I remember your goal was X, Y, Z, but I'm running into a problem. Can you give me some advice? Mm-hmm. Sure. What is it? Well, I want to try and accomplish the goal in this way, but I'm running into trouble because this is a problem. What would you do? And then get them to say, okay, try and have them solve the problem. And then you say, well, I tried that, but it wouldn't work because X, Y, Z. What else would you do? And so, again, you see what we're doing. We are not only asking open-ended questions, but we are asking them in, in a way that's strategically geared towards focusing them on why this won't work. And so then, you know, at the end of the conversation, it goes exactly how you think it's going to go because you prepared, you're the boots on the ground, you know what the reality is on, on the ground. But you, through asking these questions, you are allowing her to educate herself and try to problem solve. But you know that there's no solution other than yours. Right. And then you can come up to her and say, hey, you know, I, I realized after our conversation uh, yesterday, we, we were running into some problems and I want to try and I think I have a solution that could solve this problem in a way that adheres to your parameters. Do you have a second to chat? Mm-hmm. And that's when you bring it forward and you use the information you got from the first conversation and say it using her exact same terms. It will fit into budget because of this. It'll have this outcome because of that. that. And since we don't have a solution because we came to that conclusion yesterday in this conversation, this would be a great outcome. And so that whole time she's thinking about, oh, this won't work. What can we do? And now you come up with a solution. So what I'm getting from what you just said is, again, it's never a one time thing. It's it's a lead up. It's it's a series of steps and it is not outright resistance. It is is this really balance of getting what they want done, trying it, and then asking how this is not working, what do you suggest? Um and going back to the you know, just going back to it because I think one of the things we do is and as Caribbean people menorma right. Menor I tell them to do this. <laughs> This is the only way it for get done. The only way it must get done. If them no one do it, I for them business. Because we gave them the best recommended solution. They no one do it. Their business me done. And I, I, it's a, it's, it's just this cultural thing. Like this is the answer. I know it's right. If you don't want to do it, your, your problem. But right. people don't. Based on what you're saying and based on my experiences, people aren't responding to that position right out the gate. They have it. It's almost like you have to soften them to 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 get to that point. And like you said, they may not get to that point even after you've demonstrated. It takes a series of oh, okay, um, yeah, and then 
sometimes we, based on what you say, we have to accept that they'll come to a realization that we knew was our suggestion, but they'll say it's their suggestion. And at that point, what I heard, not to get caught up with, if you do the ESPN breakdown, not to get caught up <laughs> whether they, they've had this aha moment or we led them to it. What we should focus on is that it got done, not who got to that realization first. Exactly. And and that's the thing, too. Like I said, sometimes the reason why persuasion is so hard is because it doesn't always feel good, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, it's it, there's a difference between right, being right and being effective. Because, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a lot of these conversations, we're going to have the level of frustration that comes with tell, talking to somebody and saying, hey, you know, we can all agree that one plus one is two. Right. And they're like, no, nah, I'm thinking it's three. You're like, what? <laughs> What? <laughs> then you, but you have to realize, okay, calm down. They're going to come to this solution in time, but you need to lead them there. And I think one of the most important things we can do is just control their focus. Yeah. And by asking these questions, you can manipulate their focus and focus them on why you are right. Yeah. Because think about it. You know, anytime you're in a conversation, sometimes sometimes we have arguments and we have pride too. Yeah. So sometimes in, in the middle of an argument, we might realize... You know, man, I'm I'm wrong on this one. I'm I'm wrong here. But I have invested too much of myself in this. To go back. I will not I will not relent. You know? And so at the end of these conversations, that's why when you're having that ESPN breakdown, you need to let them feel as though they came to it themselves. Mm-hmm. Because people are going to be resistant if they feel like they lost an argument. Yeah. And when you couch this in terms of an argument, with a zero-sum game where there's a winner and a loser, nobody's want, going to want to feel like a loser. Right. So that's why you want to frame these conversations not as a negotiation or an argument, but more, but more like joint problem solving. Mm. And that's the way you really start to make moves because people feel safe adjusting their position in those type of situations. Yeah, so you have to give up the, the need to feel like, yeah, man, I'm right sometimes because as long as the initiative get done, that's the ultimate win because the where they the decision they ultimately made is one that I want them to make. And that's the win I should focus on, not whether they came to it on their own or not. Um, exactly. All right, got it, got it. Sometimes I, I don't always see it that way, but I'm working on it, I'm working on it. All right, so that, this is some really good stuff. This is really, really good. All right. So I know there's always a challenge with people who have like service biz businesses. And, you know, if a service business, if you're not a lawyer or an accountant, we're like, I need an accountant. I need a lawyer. I need someone who has a certain level of professional skills. Um, there, it, it, it invites more room to bargain on pricing. And I think even with lawyers, because I've worked in this space for a long enough time where clients are always looking to bargain or negotiate unless... You know, they're looking down the barrel of some serious, serious litigation. But if it's for like maybe estate planning or something that is not, I don't want to say not mission critical, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. There's, there, there's, there seems to be a lot of bargaining, bargaining and, um, you know, slash negotiation. So what tips do you have to offer for someone who has a service business and they find that some, they get a lot of, they, they need to negotiate more when it comes to their fees or their, their the cost of their services. Because there's a saying that people with people, there's a saying where it's like, this is your price. And if people don't want to pay it, then they're not the client for you. But I don't think that's always right. So just your thoughts on that. Yes. And I have a big smile on my face because, again, 
the timing could not have been better. Could not have been better. I was talking to one of my friends, um, and she was starting a coaching business. And so typically, you know, people who have consulting business or coaching businesses, if they want to consult with me, you know, that's that's a, one of the services I do. But she's been my friend for a while, so we were just talking through this. And um, so I asked her this question. I said, she wants to be a business coach. And I was like, has anybody ever said your price was too high? And she's like, no. I was like, well, that's a problem. (laughs) That is a problem in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a strong school in negotiation that says, if you haven't gotten to a no, you haven't pushed hard enough. Because once somebody says no, you can always adjust. But if you haven't gotten there, you haven't found their limits. Mm -hmm. And when you think about value, you have to realize value is whatever people are willing to pay you. It's like if... I'm offering this service and somebody values it at $10 and somebody else values it at $20. There's, and there's really no objective way for us to measure the value. If you value it at $20 and you're cool with that, then we're, I'm cool with that too. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, what I, this, is, this is what I suggest for people who are in service businesses. Well, you are in this business to help people to solve, help them solve their problems. Mm-hmm. And so they're coming to you as an expert. You have to recognize, first of all, you are the expert in the field. So when it comes to understanding the prices and what it entails, you will always know more than them. And so come into that conversation with that level of confidence. That's the first thing. The second thing is, when somebody comes to you, you should brainstorm about what is the most that I can give this person what 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 would be the platinum package that I could come up with? And you throw as much as you can, as much service and time as possible into it. And that comes up to this number. Now, this number is big because you are giving a lot. And so you want to price your services for as for the highest at the highest price that you can reasonably justify. And so you give them everything and then you price it at the highest price you can reasonably justify and say, this is what I'm offering you. And then you might get some pushback. Okay, I can't afford that. All right, I'm sorry. Well, what I understand, what can you afford? Now, this is where we have to think about negotiation like a dance. You had the offer. You took the first step forward in this dance. Now it's their turn to take a step. So you offer, bring in a counter by saying, well, what did you have in mind to pay for this? Okay, I was thinking, let's say if you price the service at like $3,000, like, oh, sorry, I can't, I can't afford 3000 It's like, okay, well, what did you have in mind? And so then you, you invite that offer and they say, well, you know, I was thinking more like, you know, around 2000 And so you say, okay, well, for 2000 I can give you this package. It would be more, it would look more like my silver package. And so one thing you, you never want to trade something for nothing. You don't just give away. You don't just discount that gold level service that you were going to give. Mm-hmm. You say, all right, because of that, I'm going to need to take off this option, this option, and this option. And that's what um, $2,000 would look like. But there is something psychologically important that just happened that a lot of people miss. There's a principle called anchoring. Mm-hmm. And so let's say in their mind coming into this conversation, they're like, I am willing to pay about $1,000 for this. You came in and you said 3000 and so when you ask for that counter, they said, well, you know, I was hoping to pay maybe around 2000 They adjusted their, their thought process based on the high anchor that you created. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, humans, we're very simple creatures. We think we're smart. We're really not. <laughs> and so we, with that high anchor, with that $3,000 mark that you, you, that you presented at first, it changed the reference point for the conversation. 
That's why you want to get the first offer on the table. And the rule of thumb is, if you have more information, you make the first offer. So if people are coming to your business, you are the expert, you make the first offer. Now change that if you're negotiating salary, they have more information, they make the first offer because an offer is information and from that information you can counter. So I know I gave you a lot there, but you really got me excited. <laughs> Listen, of everything that, so anchoring and anchoring matters if the whoever has the most information makes the first offer. So in a service-based business, if I know the value of my service, I'll anchor with the price that I know is for my goal package. The other person is going to counter and say, well, I am only going to pay X. And then, you know, the dance begins from there. But usually the person who is not the who who doesn't set the price is going to adjust a little bit because their their price in their head might go up a little bit, but not where you want it to be. And that's fine, because then when you come down, you're not saying, OK, I'll give you the gold package for two thousand dollars. You're going to um, make adjustments to the package that is closest to the, 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 the price that they have. Yes. No, did I? Exactly. Okay. And, and that's one of the things that I, I work with, um, with my clients who are entrepreneurs. It's, it's coming up with a negotiation strategy because you, you want to concede according to plan. Mm -hmm. Like none of this should be done on the fly. And like I said, you know, I prep, um, and that's one of the gifts. Uh, when, when we get to that point, um, uh, that's going to be one of the gifts I give to your audience. It's going to be a free negotiation preparation guide because none of this good negotiation doesn't happen by accident. No. You know, it's all planned, all prepared. It's all in the preparation. So as we wrap up, because we are coming up on time, what is the one thing? Because we talked about negotiation, persuasion, and, you know, it's the, the art of the dance. It's the dating. So mm -hmm. what? What's the one takeaway that you want people to have when it comes to negotiation? Negotiation is all about relationships. It's all about people and understanding people. You know, so when you go into a negotiation, not with the goal of how can I maximize my earnings or my winnings in this, but how can I get a better understanding of the other person, that's going to take a lot of pressure off of you when you go into these conversations. And it's going to increase your ability to persuade because people are not going to give you what you want if they don't even believe that you know what they want. Mm. You know, you have to take the time to understand. It's, it's very interesting based on just what we opened with, how negotiation is either dismissed by some people like, oh, I already know how to do that, or somewhere dismissed like, oh, I don't need to know how to do that. And that already we've set ourselves up for some level of failure when it comes to situations that require persuasion, building real um, um, rapport or relationships with people to ultimately, you know, get, you know, what we want, not necessarily in a selfish way, but in a selfish way is fine too. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's totally fine. You know, this was really such a great, great information gathering. My aha moment. I <laughs> believe it. We must not focus on the one conversation. Mm. I really think that if we take this perspective of information gathering, knowing who we're having a conversation with, knowing it's a series of moves, we can prepare ourselves better. Um, we could start to prepare ourselves better because like you said, Rome isn't built in one day. So I, I do, I do hope people listening to this episode will 
get a better understanding of negotiation and, you know, to embrace it a little bit more. But I don't expect everyone to be like top notch negotiators. Um, but it's a start and learning to look at it differently. Like girls and math, like I don't like math, but what, you know, it's, it's really reframing what we think it is and isn't. So I really, really thank you for the scenarios and answering the questions. And I am so, so excited because. <laughs> I feel like I'm so, I, I just got some like, you know, some power. Um, and people are probably like, why is she so excited? Because every day, like you said, it's a negotiation. Every conversation, every day you go to work, you are negotiating something, not necessarily salary. You have projects, you have initiatives, and you have different people. And the more information I have, I can, I can do my job better, you know? Um, and that's key. So it, don't look at negotiation only as a business. I have a business and I need to get more client. It's part of your job in, you know, whatever you do, you're negotiating with coworkers, you're negotiating uh, every in every single move that you make to get certain things done. So thank exactly. you for that. Oh. oh, my pleasure. This was so much fun. If you ever want me back on and you have more scenarios, um, I'm down. That's This is fun for me. I love situation-based. I was like, what? So yes, I for sure. And the situations are always, you know, what, what what's the disclaimer they use on TV? You know, names have been changed <laughs> and scenarios have been changed. So, you know. Um, but they're, they're important to put it into context because it's not just theory. You want to see it in action. So for sure, I'm expecting, and if you have any questions for Kwame, or there's a situation that you would like us to talk about with or without a Caribbean background, we're cool with that because, you know, Island people, we set up differently. Maybe it's how we go and negotiate (laughs) with mommy. Now that I want to know how that would work. Right. Right. For sure, definitely email or tweet. Um, so it's hello at Carry On Friends that you could tweet. But Kwame, I want you to share how the audience can get in touch with you as well. Yeah, perfect. Uh, and and before I jump into uh, contacting me, I want you to have that free gift. So yes. if you go to um, AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash prep, P-R-E-P, as in preparation, uh, you can get that free prep guide. So that's AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com sl- slash prep. And then um, c- connect with me on LinkedIn. You know, I always have people connecting with me. I, I have like 30, 30 new uh, contacts waiting for me to go through. But I always want to hear from people who have heard me and uh, if they have questions for me or anything like that. Because like like you have seen in this episode, I'm a big time nerd when it comes on to this. So I can go off on on, no, on a whole different level. So I want people to contact me and tell me what they want to hear so I can focus my content. So yeah, check out the podcast, Negotiation for Entrepreneurs. Reach out for me uh, to me on LinkedIn and check out that free guide to make sure you get what you want. Because yes. you don't get what you deserve, you get what you ask for. So yes. this will help you. Yes. And remember, and the book, Women, You Don't Ask, We Don't Ask. So we got to read this book to figure out why we don't ask and how asking can change a lot of things. So I'll put all this information in the show notes. It's also going to be on the recap on the the, the blog. So um, thank you so much, Kwame, for this really great episode. Um, and as um, I'd like to say um, at the end of the show, walk good. Okay, friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Carry On Friends podcast. For a recap of this episode and other great articles, please visit the blog at www.carryonfriends.com. 
That's C-A-R-R-Y-O-N-F-R-I-E-N-D-S dot com. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience produced by Breadfruit Media. We post a new episode every two weeks on Tuesday. And if you're looking to learn more, buy our merch, or sign up for a newsletter, check out carryonfriends.com. Or find us on all social media platforms at Carry On Friends. <laughs>